In Jesus' name we have prayed. Uh, Father, we thank you for the spirit of wisdom we have received. Thank you for understanding you have given us in Jesus' name. Thank you for you have answered our prayers. Thank you that you are working in our country. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Can we declare the word of understanding before we sit down? One, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I said amen. Amen. All right, can we take our seats? But as you are doing that, greet somebody on the left and your right. Tell the person you are welcome to understanding. You are welcome to wisdom. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. The prayer warrior. We began to look at that last time. And um, we'll be on it for some, for some time. I want to lay some very crucial emphasis and to encourage us to get enlisted into God's army. The fact that you answered an altar call is not all there is to Christianity. The fact that you are a member of a church is not all there is to Christianity. The fact that you have been promoted to the position of deacon actually means nothing, really. It's not that, you know, we're talking the other day that people kill cows, you know, celebrate heavily. They have been promoted. I'm not a deacon. That's not Christianity. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm just trying to let us understand what is important in life, okay? All right, Christianity is much more than that. There is a reason why Jesus made this statement. He said that not everyone that calls me Lord, Lord will enter into the kingdom. These days, sometimes, I mean, we hear people preach as if all you need to enter the kingdom is just to say, Lord, Lord. Jesus said it's not like that. It's not like that. He said that day, many will be disappointed. Sometimes, you know, we, we, preach, uh, we preach assurance of salvation. And even I have preached assurance of salvation uh, many times. I begin to wonder, is it a good message? You know, so I just know what you are trying to say. Because what the Bible says that he that thinks he stands should take heed lest he falls. Paul said, examine yourself whether you are in the faith. Don't just be sure of nonsense. Though, because many people are sure. That's what Jesus said. Yet they will come to me in the last day. And I will say to them, I did not know you. Say, ah, you did not know me. Check it again according to Bovi. Bovi said, check with my real name. <laughs> He didn't know me. He didn't know I was the pastor of a church. Should I play the clip for you of the testimony? I was one that prayed for that woman when she got her deliverance. Did we not prophesy in your name? I told them in five days things will change. In five days exactly, to the minute things changed. Did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not work miracles in your name? Lord, were you not watching your TV? I did miracles in your name. People used to gather and watch me do miracles. And Jesus was looking at this. Ask Gabriel, who's talking? <laughs> Say, I never knew you. As far as I'm concerned, you're a worker of what? Iniquity. So that's why there is no assurance of salvation for anybody who's walking iniquity. Let's forget that joke. 
<laughs> you know, I reasoned about it. Some of the assurance we try to preach to ourselves it doesn't exist in the Bible. One of the major one of the major ones we preach is that once you believe, salvation is just by what faith. It's faith alone and nothing else. Do you know that is true? If you believe that is true, say amen. amen. Is it in the Bible like that? Yes. Ephesians chapter two says, "By faith you have been saved. By grace you have been saved through faith." We hold this as a true word, true testimony. Paul said in Romans that salvation is not by works; it's by faith alone. That before Abraham circumcised his son, he had been declared righteous. So it is true, isn't it? You know where the problem lies? What do we call faith? That is where the problem now lies. In modern Christianity, you know what we call faith? I put up my hand, I answered an altar call. That is what faith is. I have believed. But the Bible never said so. Paul said, we're instructed to preach repentance. For the forgiveness of sins. As far as Paul was concerned, as far as Peter was concerned, there is no faith when there is no repentance. That faith is fake. Paul knew that many people in the churches that used to go, I mean, you know, Paul, Paul will tell you that. He said, I'm saying this to you weeping. That amongst you there are men who their God is their belly. That's what Paul said. What was he saying? Many people who follow you to church, Paul was saying to them, their faith is not genuine, their faith are not real. Salvation is by faith, we know. But James said, if the faith is dead, can it save anybody? That was why James had to write. James said clearly, yes, you people say salvation is by faith. He said, it's true, I agree. He said, Abraham was declared righteous before he circumcised his son. You read Paul in, the, in Paul's letter. That's what they were telling James. James said, I agree. He said, but one God called Abraham, did he not move? He said, when God said to Abraham, sacrifice your son, did he not get up to go and sacrifice the boy? He said, can't you see that his faith cooperated with his works, or his works cooperated with his faith, and therefore he was justified? He said, how can you say you have faith if there's no works to show? He said, any faith that doesn't have works is dead. He said, such a faith, can it save anybody? He put things in perspective. The conviction didn't start today. It's been dead in the days of Paul. That's why Peter wrote, Say, according as our brother Paul wrote to you in many of his letters, of which many things are hard to understand. People did not understand what Paul meant when he said believe. They thought believe meant that I could, I would sit down in my iniquity and say, Jesus is Lord, I agree. I just continue iniquity like that. Do you believe Jesus died for your sins? I continue my sin and I say yes. Do you believe he rose up from the dead? I continue my sin and I say yes. He said he has believed. Paul said he hasn't believed. That there is no belief if there is no repentance. We examined it that time. Believing has two sides. One, it goes with repentance. Two, it goes with discipleship. You don't believe Jesus and forget about him. That is why the word faith and belief in the Amplified Bible always goes, they break into three things. Relies upon Adheres to. No, read the Amplified. No, let me, let me, let me re-amplify for you. Let's just take one. One that comes to mind. And let's go to John chapter 1. Just one that quickly comes to mind. I'm just read one verse just to highlight the point. He said in verse 12, if you read the normal Bible, it says, but as many as received him. Okay, let's just take it in context. 
There was the true light which comes into the world, that's from verse 9, enlightens every man. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. And the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. That is, receiving him means believing in his name. Now, let's read that from Amplified Bible, verse 12. He said, but as many as did receive and welcome him, he gave the authority, power, privilege, right, to become the children of God. That is, to those who believe in, adhere to, trust in, and rely on his name. Do you notice the word? Adhere to. That is, there's no faith in which I give my life to Christ and I walk away from him. And I check on him once in a while. Jesus Christ, are you sitting in church? Are you getting my point? That's no faith. Those are the kind of people that Jesus said that they will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, that is my guy, my guy. You know that kind of thing. We are supposed to have relationship. And Jesus will say, who are you talking to? Do I know you? Christianity is not a joke. That's all I'm trying to say. We have bragged so much about the numbers of people we have in churches. And we call that growth. But that has no, that's not true Christianity. The multitude that followed Jesus, Jesus is not trusting them. Go and read your Bible again. When they will come, they were following him. Yes, he will be teaching them in parables. And the disciples will be upset. Why do you talk to them in parables? He said those ones. He said the word of Isaiah must be fulfilled in their lives. They will hear, they will not understand. They will see, they will not perceive. Now if you see, Isaiah said less than repent. That is, they have been given over to condemnation. That's what happened in Isaiah. Yet, you know they were following Jesus. There are all kinds of reasons people follow. Some follow from joblessness. There's nothing else to do. Yeah, anything that's exciting in town. So if, if church is now where the happening thing is, I mean, where would they wear their high heel shoes to? <laughs> Think about it. You got to dress up to go somewhere. It's Sunday morning. You have to show off something that you have. Where will you go? Is it not church? Then when, we, when you watch TV, you know, when you want to copy, how, did, how those girls just raise their hands and say, oh, hallelujah. Sometimes you just go to church and go and raise your hand, oh, hallelujah. They are not born again. They follow Jesus like that. People follow Jesus because they're jobless. They're just looking for something to follow. Anything to follow. I listened to Ravi Zacharias. He said, protest. You know, protesting is a religion. He said, it's a religion. He said, there are people who join protests. They don't know what they are protesting about. They just wake up with the money. We got to protest. Say, a young man once got to a protest venue. And he joined. I said, you guys didn't call me when you started. Oh, where's the placard? Where's the placard? They said, the protest is over. He said, anyway, what was it about? <laughs> Meanwhile, he was quarreling that he was not called. Yeah, he does not know what the protest is about. So many people follow Jesus for that. So the Bible will tell you that when Jesus saw the multitude, he went up to the mountain. His disciples now followed him. You see, they came out of the multitude and followed him. So anytime you see a large number around Jesus, they are a mixture of two primary sets of people. The multitude and his disciples. What are the disciples? They are the ones that come to take his yoke upon them by learning of him. They are the ones that are called Christians. Those who followed Jesus were not called Christians. 
It was his disciples that are called Christians. People who wake up in the morning and they pick the scriptures and say, what does the Lord have to say to me? Anybody whose Christianity is only on Sunday, is not there on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the Christianity is not with him in business, it's not with him in the classroom, it's not with, with him in his marriage, it's not with him in any other thing he's doing apart from church on Sunday. Tell the person that I say you should tell him that he's not born again. That he's not born again. Totally unborn again. Because Christians are disciples. It was the disciples they saw. And they gave the name at Antioch. And called them what? Christians. They used to gather. That's discipleship. They used to gather to learn. They are converting themselves. By the process of imbibition of his word. Into his image. Anyone not doing that is not born again. I'm going to say again, you know, that we are doing this series, the prayer warrior, to get believers to take their Christianity seriously. Make, you know that it's not a joke. It's not a part-time business. It's not a popular thing that is happening. Anytime you see a lot of noise, go and check it. God is not there. Say one million people gathered. Look closely. Most people, God doesn't even know they are there. That was why when Elijah saw the mountain cracking, he was not moved. He was used to it. Elijah saw fire burning, smoke, a hill quaking. He didn't go. Meanwhile, God was on that calling to come to the mountain. Elijah was just looking and said, the Lord has not arrived. All this noise, the Lord hasn't come. They are the, they are the dispatch riders. Do you get my point? The governor is coming, you hear, governor's car never blew siren. Did you hear what I said? The car the governor is in, nobody puts a siren on it. Have you ever seen governor's car with siren? It is that one in front. <laughs> you see a man with a big bike. The bike has siren louder than a truck horn. He's not the governor. <laughs> then you see a vehicle, a helix, full of armed policemen, and flashing like wow, 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 wow. <laughs> Nobody inside there is a governor. And you hear the noise will now go away. And you see one black long vehicle with a coat of arms or something. No noise. Nothing. They don't want to drive past. You know that is, <laughs> that's your guys. Then after he has passed, <laughs> that also happened on the mountain. And Elijah saw the rock cracking. So that is the, that's Mopo. He had fire burning. That one at NSCDC. When he saw all of those things, he said, that one a soldier. Then the Bible said he heard a sound of a gentle blowing. Then he bowed his head. King James said he heard a still, small voice. That was the limo carrying the God of the universe. Are you getting my point? Elijah bowed. and said, enough noise, guys. Let's hear what the Lord is saying. So when you see so much noise, calm down. When they say one million people Christians gathering, go the week after. <laughs> or when you get there, wait for when they say, okay, all right, um, those who want to die for Christ, wait after this service. <laughs> they, you know, everybody will have gone. Then go for that meeting. When they say, if today's your day of breakthrough, shout, amen. Don't answer anybody. The Lord has not arrived. 
And they say, all right, those who want to give their all to the Lord, who may die in the process, we have a special baptism service for you. Go for that baptism. Jesus is coming for that one. All the anointing for breakthrough. Trust me. Is the rock cracking? Is fire burning? Is hardly in there. What Amanda emphasized to us, let's take Christianity seriously. We began to look at the prayer warrior. Let me, the, the same emphasis will be laid on Saturdays, talking about the agents of light and faith. It's the same thing we're looking at from the prayer angle now. Whatever God wants to do, he needs people to pray about those things. We have talked about that. Now, what we've been trying to emphasize is that it is not just anybody that can pray and the prayer will be effective. Let's read this as our text for today. Quickly, let's look at what James said in James chapter 5. Let me start from verse 13. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church. And they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, verse 16, confess your sins one to another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. He said, effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Now, please notice that. It said, effective prayer of a righteous man. Now, I prefer the amplified rendering here for a simple reason. Effective prayer can accomplish much. The words, I mean, it's not really teaching us much. I don't know whether you caught that. that. That's how the play of words come in English. The effective prayer can be effective. That's why I like to use the amplified rendering here. It said, the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man can affect my, can accomplish much. Let me just read it completely. Makes tremendous power available and is dynamic in its working. Now, what I want to bring out is that he told us two things here, but like I said, I'm emphasizing on the person praying. He said it's what he called the effective prayer or the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer. We'll look at that briefly later. But our emphasis is on the word, the righteous man. The emphasis on the righteous man. Who is that righteous person? First of all, let me start by explaining this. Of course, let me review again briefly. I've said that the fact that you're a Christian, I'm trying to say, is not all that matters. People walk with God and it affects how God relates with them. We've seen the story of Daniel. A word that was used for him again and again. If you read my version, New American Standard, it will tell you, oh man of high esteem. Told him, you are highly esteemed. I have come to give you consolation. I have come for thy words because you are highly esteemed. Daniel used to shake the heavens. We talked about that last time. Samuel, the same thing. And a man like Moses. So much that God had to refer to Jeremiah Jeremiah to them. All right? When the matter was hard and Jeremiah was praying, God said even if you were to recruit Moses and Samuel in this matter, a destruction has been determined. I will not listen. Now, what does, that, what does that tell us? The prayer of Samuel, the prayer of Jeremiah, of, of Moses, was of a different caliber. And God recognized it. That's a matter of fact. And we established the fact that God, not being a respecter of persons, does not apply to their spiritual state. 
It applies to the other physical things that human beings, you understand, you know, look out for. For example, now you say that the president uh, should have at least a PhD. God says, I'm no respecter of persons. I give the kingdom to the lowliest of men. So it is not a strange thing for you to have somebody who did not finish primary school become the head of state or the richest man in the world. God said, I'm not a respecter of persons. But the Bible will tell you that anyone who does his will is acceptable unto him. He said to this one that we look, we saw that last time, Isaiah chapter 66, the one that is contrite and humble, who trembles at my word. I look at that one. He said, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro the whole earth, scanning thousands and millions of people. In the midst of these thousands and millions, he's looking for one person, one type of person, that is, the person whose heart is completely his own. He respects that heart. Is he a respecter of persons? Believe me, in that area, he distinguishes between one man and another, between one woman and another. There is a reason, or there was a reason why he went to the house of the widow of Zarephath. That's what I discussed in the book, Great Faith Can Be Yours. There was a reason. And Jesus said it. He said there were many widows in Israel, and to none of them was Elijah, Elijah sent Apart from that one, it was not in Israel. God jumped all the widows in Israel and sent Elijah to the one that was in Zarephath. So God checks. And what we are saying, I want to emphasize again that he's desperately, look, can I say that about you? He's desperately looking for. And we read from Ezekiel chapter 22. And the typical thing is that it's hard for him to find. It, is, it doesn't like trouble, but many times he has to bring forth trouble, judgment upon people. So the first thing I do before I bring forth that judgment is I look for a man. Let's just read that again. Very important. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 22. We read it last time. Let's just read it again. We read it in verse 30. Let's back up to help us to read. Uh, we read from verse um, 23. We'll jump here and there. Chapter 22, verse 23. He said, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of our prophets in the midst, like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured lives. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in the midst of her. And the priests also, <laughs> they have done violence to my law. They have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the profane. And they have not taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they hide their eyes from my Sabbaths, and I am profane amongst them. The next line, her princes, that is her rulers within her, are like wolves. So you see, I with the prophets, then the priests, then the rulers. Her princes within her are like wolves, tearing the prey. They are shedding blood and all of that for dishonest gain. Her prophets, instead of correcting all these people, have smeared whitewash for them, saying, seeing false visions and divining lies for them. Saying, thus is the Lord, when the Lord has not spoken. It's not a new thing. People have been doing this for a very long time. Okay, let me just read verse 29. The people of the land have practiced oppression and committed robbery. And they have wronged the poor and needy and have oppressed the sojourner without justice. Now look at verse 30. I searched for a man among them who will build up the wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it. He said, but I found no one. 
Thus I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their way I have brought upon their heads, declares the Lord God. Emphasis, why that is the love? There's trouble in the land. We see it's a problem of prophets, the priests, and then the leaders come after. And the prophets are supposed to call them back to order. Just by the way, can I just digress for one minute? The primary job of a prophet is not to tell you what will happen tomorrow. Can we get that again? The primary job of a prophet is not to tell you what will happen tomorrow. If it's anybody sitting down, just always, all they are doing every day is telling you what will happen next week. When I see your face, I will prophesy. <laughs> Listen, they are not prophets. I don't know what they are, but they are not prophets. At the beginning of the year, this year, there will be this, there will be that, there will be this, the next year again. They are, they, they are good people, some of them. Many of them are wicked people, but they are good people, many, some of them. But that is not the job of a prophet. A prophet doesn't owe you any word, January 1. God does not check calendar when he wants to talk. When he has something to say, he will say it. That's why I don't do New Year resolution and I don't do crossover service. Most times I'm crossing over like this. That's why I take crossover. I cross over in my sleep. I cross over anyway. I can cross over sleeping. And if you are doing worship service and I like it, I can cross over worship. There is no December 31, January 1st. They don't, there's no difference. Trust me. There is no difference. And in case you do not know, the new year used to start. Many people don't know it. You know when New Year's used to start before? March 1. You didn't know that? Oh, it was March 1. New Year used to be March 1. That is why your December, when your son comes, say, what is a decagon? It's a, it's a shape that has how many sizes? Nonagon. How many sizes? Octagon. How many sizes? So you see, October is the eighth month of the year. November is the ninth month. And December is the tenth month. Counting from March. A Pope got up one day and said, he doesn't like it like that again. Start, <laughs> start from January. By that time, December had his name. November had his name. October had his name. September had his name. Are you seeing what I'm saying? So don't let these dates confuse you. I'm not going to explain something to you here. So God doesn't wait for a particular day to prophesy. The primary job of a prophet is not to tell you tomorrow. I didn't say prophets don't tell tomorrow. What did I say? The primary job. Their primary job is to call people to repentance. Their primary job is to look at a sinner and say to him, he shall not be well with you. Yes. And God says, there's a curse on them if they look at a sinner and say, he shall be well. God places a curse on a prophet that looks at the man in his iniquity. And tells him, tells him I shall be well. So that prophet, don't worry. The, the, the un- unwellness I want to give the sinner, I'll share with the two of them. I, I told the story once of my, one of my sisters, strong prophetic anointing, went for a meeting, a rich woman's house. And the prophet was imported from a long distance. And it was prophesying to this woman, it shall be well. It shall be well. In the name of Jesus, all your enemies, they will die. They will somersault and scatter. And my sister shouted, no, it will not be well. So she just had this feeling that it's not going to be well. The prophet wanted to throw her out. But the woman recognized her. No, just asked the prophet to calm down. And she said, the Lord said judgment is coming. 
the end of that week, the woman was dead, killed by her own son, because he quarreled over money. That's it. That's prophet. That's prophecy. Anybody coming to tell you that you know your mother's your mother has a friend who, when your mother was pregnant, she said that this child will not marry. Tell that prophet, go and give your life to Christ. Wash your eye with eye salve. Start seeing clearly. God's prophets don't have time for such things. I hope you are getting my point. I like to say this again and 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 again. Anybody who is trying to identify your enemy for you is a false prophet. I don't care his name or the size of his church. He is either totally false on himself or that prophecy is a false prophecy. When they come to you, I'm, <laughs> ah, especially when they say, your wife is a witch. It's a lie. Your wife is not a witch. You are a wicked soul. <laughs> if you are not wicked, you will have dewitched her. But let me, when I get there, I get stuck. Let me get back to my message. The primary job of a prophet is not to go around sniffing around. He's not a witchcraft catcher. <laughs> sniffing around the house. Who sacrificed for this place? There are five pots cooking against you. <laughs> Those guys are not Christians. Don't be fooled. Many, are, many don't believe in Jesus. They came to do their business. I hope you are aware. They don't believe in your Jesus. His name moves money, it moves market. You know, in Nigeria, the name of Jesus moves market. You know, they call move market. Just produce something like this now. Make shirts and put it and say, Jesus wear. You will sell more than any. That is, just call Jesus wear. Even the unbeliever, no one die, go buy. <laughs> when he wants to travel, go buy your shirt, wear them. <laughs> After that, go hang them again. When he wants to travel, tell his wife, honey, please, where's my, where's my armor? <laughs> My armor shirt. <laughs> the Lord is good. Oh, God, let me get back to my message. Oh, I also came with you. Are you the one causing all of this? You're not the one. Okay, somebody came here today to hear these things. The primary job of a prophet is to point out your iniquity to you. It's to tell you, repent. That's the primary duty of a prophet. Do you get my point? Then, occasionally... The Lord will give them a revelation of what will come. And that is to bring people also to repentance. When, when, um, what's his name? Our guy, the fisherman, Jonah. When Jonah went to Nineveh and said, 40 days hence, and Nineveh will be destroyed. What happened to Nineveh? They repented. And when they repented, God relented of the destruction. That is, God didn't want to destroy Nineveh. That was why he sent a prophet. If he wanted to destroy Nineveh, he wouldn't have sent anybody. When he wanted to de- destroy the Amorites, you know what he did to them? He removed the prophets from amongst them. And said to Abraham, I will send your descendants. Touch not my anointed and do what? Do my prophets no harm. I will send my prophets over to Egypt. Because the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet full. I send away all the prophets. Then they will sin and sin and sin. And I will return and wipe them out. When he wants to destroy people, he withdraws prophets away from them. When they are still having prophets, is that he's reluctant. He does not want to destroy. To the last moment, he doesn't want to destroy. So when the prophets are still shouting, 
Destruction is coming. Destruction is coming. It's a sign of God's reluctance. Not his lack of determination. No. It's what? His reluctance. He's determined to do it. It's just that he said, I don't have to. You guys can repent and I will forgive you. I will wash away your sins. Just repent. Then by the time he's made up his mind, once he says it's too late, the prophets will just pick, give a last warning to those who he wants to pull out from their midst, the righteous amongst them. Sends his angels, mark this one, mark this one, mark this one, and pour the indignation. That's the primary job of a prophet. Now, back to what we're trying to say. Now, like I said, that's just a distraction, all right? That's just a side trip. We do that a lot. We learn from all of these things. Our emphasis, again, is God's looking for people. And that's my message. I'm calling out on God's behalf. The Lord is saying that it's not the fact that you are one million forwarding prayers up and down. No. He said, let us gather one million prayers. God said, I don't need one million people. If I have a few of the kind of people that I need, one million people who are not serious is not important to me. Two people who can come in agreement who are very serious is more important. They are more effective than a million people. So please pardon me when I don't forward your prayers, when you send them to me. Forward it as around want to get one million people praying. I delete it because I know it has no meaning. The number one million doesn't shake heaven. It doesn't. No, we do it as if, uh, if, if we can get one million people to pray. <laughs> because they did not tell you I'm looking for one man. The person who wrote that prayer he does not even believe. And he wants to fall to one million people. I hope you're getting my point here. God doesn't count a million. That's my message. Let's understand that he's a few. You know, that's what the Bible calls a remnant. I just want to teach on the characteristics of the prayer warrior. So you will understand. The one I want to pick today is when he's talked about the effectual, fervent, heartfelt, continued prayer of, you know, it's not, it's not the prayer type we're talking about now, but what? The person, the righteous man. Why did he call Elijah righteous? First off, he wasn't saying Elijah was perfect. Let's start with that. We're not talking about perfect people who never make mistakes, who will never do anything wrong. From the beginning, righteousness has been by faith. The just shall live by faith was not prophesied in the New Testament. Paul made that statement, quoting Habakkuk, illustrating it, quoting Genesis, the life of Abraham. So when you talk about the just living by faith, it didn't start in the New Testament. It was like that the time of Abraham. So when they called Elijah a righteous man, it was not about his works, first of all. But first of all, is faith. Righteousness comes by faith. Let me mix a number of things together, alright? I gave a number of names. I talked about Moses. I talked about Daniel. I talked about um, Samuel. And now I'm mentioning Elijah. There's something about these people that made their prayers effective. I'm not saying God did not speak to Elijah. He possibly did. But the Bible did not say God spoke to Elijah when he stopped rain. The impression God, the Bible gives us is that Elijah was provoked by the iniquity, the idolatry in the land. And he personally decided that the judgment is shut off the heavens. That was why Ahab saw him 
He said, oh, the man who troubles Israel. When they have said, he accused him of all the troubles. And the man didn't really argue, apart from the fact that he said that, no, the trouble didn't start with me, it started with your family. He said, me, troubler of Israel, who sent Israel into idolatry? Is it not, is it, is it not you and your father's household? You and your Jezebelic wife called Jezebel. He says, it's your family that's teaching us idolatry in this country. So they are the ones troubling Israel, not me that God provoked. The point I'm making is this. Elijah had the passion for the things that were important to God. We'll talk about that. Like I'm I'm picking up on faith today. And I know I started the show of defining faith properly. Righteousness is by faith, we know. Justification is by faith. But what faith are we talking about? Samuel also. One day, somebody preached a message. I never thought about it before until that day. I still have it in, in, in my collection. How Samuel was with God. Now, God came to Samuel and told Samuel. And today, I'm very unhappy. Ah, Samuel said, Lord, why are you unhappy? He said, I feel bad that I have made Saul king in Israel. Ah, Samuel said, what happened? He has disobeyed me. The instructions I give, he did not carry it out. Do you know what the Bible says? Samuel cried the whole night. I don't know whether I get the point. That is, God is hurting, Samuel is hurting. God is sad, Samuel sees no reason to smile. Break of dawn, he went looking for Saul. He brought the, you know, the way God was feeling was how he attacked Saul. That is what made his prayers effective. He had become united with the, let me use the expression please. He had become united with the emotions of God. He was not concerned about his own primary feeling, his own primary emotions. What about the man Moses? When God spoke to Moses and told him that, I'm going to destroy the people of Israel, and I'm now going to raise a new nation. I will still fulfill my covenant. I made with Abraham, Isaac, and their father Jacob. He said, but this time around, I'm fulfilling it through you. You know what Moses said? Now, sometimes I embellish these stories, but I still give you the real core substance without changing it. So Moses said, thank you for the offer. What would the Egyptians say about you? I don't know whether you're getting the point. He said, what would the Egyptians say about you? They will say you took them from Egypt. You could not deliver them into the promised land that you promised them. You not destroyed them in the wilderness. So is that the kind of reputation we are going to give you? God promised him a reputation for himself. I will make you the father of Israel. Moses said, but what will happen to you? I don't know whether you are getting my point. What reputation, what name are we creating for you amongst the Egyptians? What name are we creating for you amongst the people of the land? Because twice they had that conversation. Now you see why these people's prayers were effective. They were, now listen to this though. They were not people trying to believe God for food. They were not people trying to believe God or work with God so that God will solve their problems. They were not people that were concerned about this country, our children. <laughs> In summary, they were concerned about, ah, can we use the expression? They were concerned about God's welfare. That welfare is not a good word, but can you give me a better one? Yes, that's a good one. They were concerned about God's glory. 
They were concerned about God's name. That was what was important to them. Every other thing was unimportant. When we're talking about faith, talking about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, and righteousness is by faith. We're not talking about somebody who has read so many scriptures and is nodding his head, I believe, I believe, I believe. Every time he wants to make a choice, he makes a choice on how it favors him personally. Listen, that is why I said to you earlier, one million people forwarding prayers to themselves and praying those prayers at the same time. I like the way Andrew Mark said it. You can't gang up on him. You can't say, all right, I went up to a million, surround him. What do we do? Praise him. You won't be able to resist. I have no God. He can't resist praise. You know the way we talk about him? So you, you, you tie his hands with praise. When, he, when you start praising him, he loses control of himself. No, yes. There are things we say, God will say, well, like they like me. <laughs> me. <laughs> no, 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 who are they talking about? Me. Lose con. What? Say, praise him, his head will swell. He won't know when he will be blessing you. And he's not praising. Oh, Father, we worship you. Is the blessing there yet? No. Ramp up the praise. Heat up the furnace of praise seven more times. Why are they praising for what they are going to get? Listen. God says something. Say, I, the Lord. I, I, <laughs> I have my microscope, my telescope, all kinds of scopes on your heart and your mind. When you are praising, I don't look at your hands. I go down vroom, into the chest, zoom. Check there. What is he looking for? Food. Forget that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> we were we there deceiving ourselves. Say we are praising God. Say God, they are not. God says they are not praising me. No, they are activating food. So after a while, you know, he's a kind God. I say, Gabriel. <laughs> I say, yes, Lord. Give them food before they die in prison. <laughs> so they now give food. So you will now come and testify, praise the Lord. Somebody says to your neighbor, praise works. I said praise works. Listen, my friend, grumbling also works. I hope you know. When they grumble in the wilderness, God gave them meat. He <laughs> said praise works. Yes, that's where prison. Ah, we pray. God said, ah. So next day they said, now we have another problem. Let's start praising. This time around, God don't hard. In quotes, they will praise and praise and praise. They will praise, oh, nothing will happen. Why? Say, because praise didn't work last time. I felt sorry for your foolishness. I give you the food because you're about to die of praise. The praise was not from the heart. That's what, when something is from the heart, that one was not from the heart. It was from the stomach looking for food. But the men we have described, listen to me, what mattered to them was what mattered to God. That's the point we must understand. God is looking for prayer warriors because literally, what he wants to do, he needs people to ask him to. That's just the way life is. That's how he made it. I don't know why he did it like that. He told us the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, the earth he has given to the sons of men. That is, if I want to do something on the earth, I need the sons of men to gather together. And he told Israel, he said, this is what I will ask Israel to ask me for. He said, I will have Israel ask me for this. I will increase their men like a flock. That is, I want to increase them but I need them to ask me for it. That is, two things must come into agreement. One, what God wants to do is call his will. Two, the prayers of the people. So his will is hanging. 
waiting for people that can pray to effectively activate that stuff. That is what we are talking about. That is what that a prayer warrior is not the person who has memorized scriptures and knows how to play with flowery language. Quote 16 verses before introducing the prayer point. 25 verses to describe God who will answer. Then tell 10 stories on the times God has, has, has answered such prayers before. And he said, man, that brother can pray. Can I get down to it again? Say, pray for the country. Most people can't pray for this. Like, look, listen. And that's what I'm preaching. Please, brethren, join those who can pray for the country. Most people cannot pray for the country of, that most Christians. Thank God he doesn't need everybody. He just needs a few. Like he said, he is looking for one man. When he say pray for the country, God says, guys, most of the prayers that I hear about your country is coming from people I don't listen to in that area. Because I talked about it, everybody has an area. There are people that God will listen to in one area, and one area, the other area doesn't listen to them. Because it's about faith. They don't have faith. You no, know, was he on Saturday? Yes, Saturday started preaching this. If there's no faith in the heart, now let me put it like this. If there is no expectation, it's a sign that there's no faith. Let me explain that. Um, Hebrews chapter 11. Faith, no, don't bother opening it. We all know it. I just want to quote it. It says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, when it says faith is the substance of things hoped for, what that means is this. Now, please, let me say this. I always like to explain it properly so that people will get it very clearly. The way we look at it most times is that faith, we have hope, then we look for faith to give it substance. If you have heard that before, say amen. Yeah. Please, I don't mean to be critical, but that's not correct. The impression that, look, you have a hope. You have a hope that you will... Build a big house. You have a hope that you will have five children. You have a hope that all of them will become successful people. It's all right. That's your hope. So you now look for faith to give it what? Substance. That is not what the Bible said. What the Bible said is this. Faith is the substance of the firm expectation that you find that somebody has. Can you see the difference? You say, what's the difference? No. Hope is a wish that the way we talk about it in the English language. I like to just emphasize it again. The Bible hope is not the same as a modern day hope. That is why if I had to translate a Bible today or use it, you know, get a modern translation, I would have to switch the word hope. That word hope has to be switched because it doesn't mean what it means. That is what the Bible, old Bibles will use when they say hope, what the Greek means. What the Hebrew means is not what modern word hope means. The modern word for hope is an uncertain desire. It's just the same thing as a desire. So that's how we interpret it. This is what we interpret. Faith is a substance of the desire that I have. So we assume that I have a desire. Then if I need to give it what? Substance. So we will not go and look for faith. I will not, will not make statements like hope is uncertain. Please let me clarify it. I keep clarifying it because people keep on hearing the opposite. The word hope in that portion of Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 means a firm expectation. 
That is, when you ask Abraham, what is your name? Say, my name is Abraham. What does that mean? Father of many nations. He said, sir, let's get serious. That was not his desire. That was what? His expectation. Why? Why will you at your age say that you are a father of many nations? He said, because a father of many nations, he has made me. It was not me that said it. The word of the Lord came to me saying, a father of many nations have I made you. And I believe the person who said it. So faith created for me what? An expectation. So I am expecting because of faith. Not as if I had the hope before I had faith. Abraham did not have hope until faith came. That's why he said in hope, against hope, he believed. Now, you know why he was like that? Why is hope contracting itself? No, it's two hopes. Hope in the Bible does not mean you desire, your desire. Hope does not mean you like it. Hope means you expect it. I don't know whether you're getting my point. My best way of illustrating it is like, assuming we have a party outside, we're about to have a, a match past, a parade. And then rain starts to gather. The cold breeze starts. I look up. You see the clouds coming in from one side. Dark clouds. You can see they're already dropping. They are moving in. What do I say? Uh-oh. It's about to rain. Looks like we're going to have to postpone this parade. I don't think we can do it today. It will be nice. We've prepared so well for it. We have to film it. So let's wait till tomorrow. Let's... I want to use the word, you know, English hope now. Let's hope it will be sunny tomorrow. Do you get my point? Now, do I like the expectation of rain? No. But why am I expecting it? There's evidence. Do you get my point? Hope is based on evidence. It's not based on desire. Hope is based on what? Evidence. Why did Abraham have hope against hope? Two hopes were in his life. The first one was the one he told God. What do you give me? Seeing that I am going to depart from this world childless. So what do you give me? And God now said, let me tell you what. You will not depart from this world childless. Do you get my point? Eliezer of Damascus will not be your head. That's a word. And Abraham believed it. Then he stopped saying, I will depart childless. Can you see that now? So that had what? A new hope. That is against the former hope. So Paul said in in Romans chapter 4, that against hope, that is the former hope, in hope he believed. That is, the former hope was discarded. The faith he had brought a new hope. Are you getting the point I'm making? When there's no hope, it's a sign of lack of faith. That's the point I'm making. Many people have desires. They don't have expectation. I must, you, know, you know, I try to take myself away from talking about Nigeria, but I realize that I may be displeasing God <laughs> by doing that. So I need to return and speak to Nigerians. I'm talking to Nigerians. I'm talking on national matters. I've been teaching on Saturdays, okay, talking about the, angel, uh, the agents of light and faith. And what I want to say again is this, just as an illustration. Most Christians I know today eh, don't have any expectation. They have desires. They wish 
that one day the streets of Lagos, the streets of um, uh, Abuja, Port Harcourt, Onicha here, Enugu, I almost there, amen, praise God, hallelujah. <laughs> and the streets of Nigeria everywhere will be like the streets of America. One day, they, are, they, they decide that they pick, pick their phone and dial 999. That's what we use in Nigeria, not 911, all right? And it used to be those days, I don't know what we use now, all right? But 999, and then in 10 minutes, you know, either an ambulance or a police patrol vehicle will be at their door, or three minutes. They would wish that one day, you know, there will be no power failure. Maybe they will go for six months and there will be no power interruption. And they'll maybe they will be informed that please we need to switch off power tomorrow because we need to do serious maintenance. They, they are hoping that one day all the roads, all the federal roads will be smooth. They are no, they wish for it. But know the truth, they don't expect it. They don't believe it will ever happen. That's why a man who is poor, technically speaking now, you know, he's not too poor, but he's poor. He will save for three, for six months. No, that's six months. For a whole year, he's gathering money. Why? He expects his wife will soon be pregnant. And then she has to go and deliver abroad. Now listen, that child will not become 18 years old for the next 20 years. She's not pregnant yet. He's still expecting. I don't know whether you're getting my point. He's already saving. Why? Because he wants him, she wants him to be an American citizen. When you ask why, he said to give him a chance in life. Please, if you are like that, don't pray for the country. It's not working. I don't mean any disrespect. It's not working. You can pray for emergency. God, let there no be fighting in good today. That one will work because you're living here. I don't know whether you get the point. But prayer for development, yours is not working. Why? You have no expectation. You're not bad, though. You're not wicked, though. You'll still go to heaven, though. You'll get to heaven, and the Lord will say, Ah, no, be that. We're not getting special for your country. Now, wow, welcome. Sit down here. <laughs> no, wala. But at least understand it. At least understand it. That's what I'm saying. At least understand it. Now, listen. Most of the time, the tension we've had in Nigeria have been imaginary. Now, listen to me. In this country, it has never been as bad as people make it seem. It has never been as bad as they make it seem. Things have happened, but it's never been as bad. It's always amplified. There was a time there was tension. That was a few years ago, before this last election. All right, Tension everywhere, in the air. And a lot of people were selling their land in a place like Abuja. All right? And moving down, moving down to the east. All right? And what is the reason? They believe that it is a safer investment. All right? It's safer use of money. Come and invest down at home where at least, I mean, you know, in case, <laughs> and I tell Christians, if you behave like that, they don't pray about the future of the country because there is no expectation. What I say Christians should have done is go there. When you see your brother is selling, your neighbor is selling, buy. Why? If indeed you want peace, if indeed you want the nation to progress, say what? Now listen to this. You will say, what if it breaks? You know what I can always say? You've not lost anything more than money. But at least you can beat your chest and tell God, we're amongst the people that prayed. We're the last ten or the last five that held out. And if we are beyond up to ten, Sodom and Gomorrah will have been spared. 
would have been able to say to God, ah, you say you wanted a man. I volunteered. Because it happened at the time. Jeremiah did everything right. Israel was still destroyed. He did everything right. At the point in time, God sent out his angels and said, go and mark the people. Let me summarize it. That will not be touched by the indignation about to come. So the angels came out to mark. And Jeremiah looked to the left and to the right. Not the only person they marked. Him. <laughs> the guy panicked. What is going on here? They marked only Jeremiah and left. And the Lord said to him somewhere along the line, He said, You, I will give your life to you as a booty. That is, when people are capturing prey, you will capture your life. You will never die. Don't worry about this. There are times they will take him to Egypt by force. God said, Don't worry, you will return. You won't die there. What I'm going to say is that sometimes, now, it, because in situations like this, God may need more than one individual. So one person will do everything he's supposed to do. And God will say, See, it's not working. But listen to this. That fellow. We have an inheritance both in heaven and on earth. I'm talking about righteousness. What is righteousness? Is the reason God listens to you. What is righteousness? Is the basis of your relationship with God the Father. How do you attain righteousness? Is by faith. But the faith must be genuine. That's what I'm trying to explain. Faith in this circumstance, in this situation, I'm trying to bring it out, is known by the expectation. Is not listen to me. I've become more convinced of this every day. God, notice what I want to say. God needs those people. He needs those people. He needs them before he can do anything on the earth. If he finds everybody, if he looks around, now listen, before I say this, he's not checking amongst everybody. He's checking amongst believers. If he looks around our country and finds out that everybody given the opportunity would rather deliver the children abroad in Nigeria, he will close down the country. He will close it down. He will, at least for this generation, he will shut it down. There will be disorder everywhere until he's able to raise a new generation of people that have some expectation. There are people that God says, pray for your country. Say, Lord, we must pray for Nigeria. Say, wait, first sell your house in America. What do you say? Sell your house in America. And buy one in a bakliki. Buy a second one in the badon. And I want the last one to be in Guzo. You are buying three houses. You will share your stay in the country in those three places. Four months of the year you are in Guzo. Four months you are in Ibadan. Four months in a bakliki. And don't open your mouth to pray until you have sold that house. He will say, where's your American passport? He say, here it is, Lord. He say, return it. You know you can return your passport. Yeah, you can. He will tell you, return it. Denounce the citizenship, both for yourself and for your children. He say, Lord, what are you talking about? He say, we want to pray. So the guy will collect the passport. He will write a nice, beautiful letter. Go to the Nigerian, American embassy in Nigeria and hand it to them. Say, so I would like to return this. I can assure you, they will look at you like, are you for real? Do you really exist? Of course, they want to know why. Now, at such times, it's good to just tell somebody. Those are little times you, 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 you make, you really witness for the Lord. Tell the fellow, the Lord said we should need to start praying for the country. So he wants to cut off all my escape routes. What do you say? Yes, the Lord Jesus Jesus of Nazareth, 
that died and rose again. He's alive and well. He spoke to me last week. He said he has a job for me to do. And the first thing he wants me to do is make sure I have nowhere else to go. The fellow will look at you again. When last you see a doctor? <laughs> of course, he has no choice. Accept your passport. And that's it. They do the paperwork. You're no longer an American citizen. No, people do that every day. For other reasons, of course. Uh, the, the, the time I, how many of you know Tina Turner? Yeah, a few years ago I read about it that she went and returned her American, her American passport. She was born American. She returned her passport because she's married, she lives in Switzerland. I don't know about now, but then she was living in Switzerland. She was almost 70 that time, married to a Swiss man. And she said she got tired of filing tax returns. That was her reason. That she doesn't live in America. She's not planning to go back. Yet every year she has to file her tax returns because she's an American citizen. So she said she got tired. So she just went to the embassy one day in Switzerland. Guys, stick. I don't want to again. Thank you. Love you. If I want to visit, I'll get a visa. So people do it for different reasons, okay? Sometimes there are countries that say they don't want dual citizenship. Like, um, is it Germany now? They say you cannot be a member of parliament if you're a dual citizen. So there are people that have to go and return. Is it Germany? Eh? Australia, okay, yeah. There have been a lot of noise about it last year and into the early part of this year. So the people have to go and return their passports to reject the citizenship of one country. In fact, the one that made me laugh, again, I like to gist too much, is this guy, the former Georgian president. What is his name? Mikhail Shakashvili. Shakashvili dropped the Georgian passport and had the, the Ukrainian one. Then he quarreled with the Ukrainian people. They collected their passport for him. He was stateless. <laughs> You can go and hold up the story. I said, what kind of life is this? He was Georgian president. So he was stateless. How can he be stateless? Former president. But let's get back to our message, all right? Just wanted to drop down for people to understand that these things happen, all right? So the Lord can ask somebody that. He said, why am I asking you to do that? I want you to pray. I want you to pray. Then when the fellow will have done it. Look, Jesus, listen, listen, listen. The Lord Jesus asks for such things, so. I've told you, I've re- Christianity is not a joke. Christianity is that, Lord, all my life, I've always made up my mind. I'm going to have a PhD and become a professor. Then God appears to you. You give your life to Christ. Say, huh? Professor, PhD. Say, hey, hey, thank you, Lord. <laughs> give me. Give you what? Your ambition, your dreams. What are you going to do? You are going to the jungle. You are going to the Congo. Those guys must be saved. That's it. You are halfway through your master's degree. You've got, in fact, the, your school fee is complete. Just a school fees, scholarship, just got a British scholarship, British Chevening scholarship, Commonwealth, fully funded, 100% you're supposed to travel in about a month, because can I have it, what are you collecting, your dreams of becoming a professor, can I have them, that's, I'm giving you Christianity, you saw professional fishermen came to them and said, follow me, why, I don't want to fish for fish again, you are going to become fishers of men. And he looked at all of them, shook his head for all of them. All of you are going to die useless deaths. Apart from this small boy, I want he will live so old, he will get tired of life. They will fry him, he will not fry. That, no, that, <laughs> yeah, that's what he did to his disciples. Every single one was killed. Every, listen, every single one of them, apart from John, they died funny, beheading, crucifixion, dragged by the leg, the one that turned a section of India to a Christian state till today. Thomas, 
They killed him in India. His grave is still there. 2,000 years later, they can tell you to where Thomas, they can take you to where he was buried. It's still a tourist attraction. That's what Jesus does to people. Man came to him one day. He followed. He ran after Jesus. He ran after him. He ran after Jesus. He loved Jesus. Ah, good master. Ah, ah, slow down. Let me catch my breath. Good master. What must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus said, you know the law. He said, I've kept all of them from my youth. In fact, it worked. I prospered. The Bible says Jesus loved him. And he gave him the key to eternal life. For him, not for everybody. What was his own key? Sell all you have. Give to the poor. Don't worry, you have treasure in heaven. Then come and join Peter, who was struggling to maintain his life with the boots. Join all these other people and follow me. The man looked like, ah ah, now so eternal life cost. The man looked, now so this thing cost. Is that how expensive it is? You know, he ran coming. Then he turned around and walked away slowly. It was so bad. I watched a movie, Jesus of Nazareth, years ago. Many years ago. I still remember that scene as he was leaving. Jesus looked at him and turned to Peter and said, Do you see him? I remember that. Do you see him? He said, People that have money like this, it's so hard for them to enter into the kingdom. Following Jesus is not a joke. I've told this story here many times. I don't like telling it because it always brings tears to my eyes every single time I tell it. So I'm going to steal myself hard to tell it now. I'll do it fast before tears can arise. That's why men like John G. Leak liquidated everything they had and went to South Africa to go and preach. And once when the men said there's no, when they found there was no money again to sponsor the missionaries, they called them from the fields and said, come back home. They said, no, we are not coming back. We will go back to the field hungry. We ask for only one thing. When we die, bury us. Did you hear that? And they said that year, he buried, I think, about 30 men, women, children who died of hunger. He said, you're asking how come the mission in South Africa had power. He said, that's why it had power. Men who were sold out to nothing else but pleasing God. Working with him. So the people that would kneel down and pray. And God would say, stop creation for a moment. No, me can understand. Somebody's talking. All the angels will stand still. Who's talking? Says Daniel. After a while in heaven, they knew Daniel. When everywhere is sober. They say, why is everywhere sober? He said, Daniel is crying on the earth. So the angels learn to maintain themselves. They knew it. Go and read it in Daniel chapter 9 and chapter 10. Three times the angel told him, you are a man of high esteem. He greeted him and said, oh man of high esteem. Twice he used that expression. When he arrived in chapter 9, he told him, I have come because you are highly esteemed. That's why I wrote the tract, are we all equal before God? There was a time I changed the title to highly esteemed. God is not looking for people who can quote scriptures and say they are, they are not these prayer warriors. No. <laughs> no, they are not his prayer. Those are not the people that he calls prayer warriors. People think that you are a prayer warrior because you can stay up all night. Listen, 
There are people that stay up all night. For days, they do not eat. When they finish, God will say, request denied. It's not your Bible. David, when that boy was sick, do you know how long he was up? Fasting and praying and punishing himself. When they finish, request denied. The boy died. David said, now wow. That you can stay up all night doesn't mean anything. That's not what prayer, that's not prayer warring. That's not what it is. Hannah prayed for a very long time. No, God, he didn't listen. He didn't walk. Then one day her whole life changed. She wasn't fasting that day. She didn't pray for long. The Bible says that she ate and drank. After eating and drinking, she went to the temple and uttered a simple prayer. In simple terms, Lord, I think your glory is more important than my need. Then Eli said, all right. God put a word in Eli's mouth. And Samuel was born. And listen, Samuel was an embodiment of what God was able to birth out of Hannah's troubles, using her troubles. Because listen, children, a lot of times, they are, the, they are an embodiment of something from the parents. Samuel was an embodiment of total sellouts to God. And that was manifested in the fact that he grew up in the temple. Listen, let me put it like this. Samuel was God's property. Do you know what they call property? I can prove it to you in scripture. Let me quickly prove it. God said to Israel, every firstborn male child that opens the womb is mine. And I said, whether it's animal or man. If it's a clean animal, you sacrifice it to God. If it's an unclean one, you redeem it. Or you break his neck. He said, but if he's a human being, what do you do? You redeem him depending on whether you are rich or poor with certain animals. You are poor, you brought her to doves. You were rich, you brought a haifa, three years old. What am I talking about? Samuel was by right God's property. It was a male child that opened the womb. Do you get the point? Good. Hannah came, brought the haifa that God asked for. Or is it high or bull? He brought the animal that God asked for. Three years old, gave it to God and gave him Samuel. I don't know whether you're getting the point. She had the right to redeem Samuel. So he said, God, no problem. I redeem him. But now I dash him to you. <laughs> Do you get the point? Yeah, that's what happened. Everybody in Israel had a right to redeem a Samuel. In Hannah's case, he did the redemption. And I said, God, still take him. It was God's, it was Hannah's manifestation of her total commitment to God. So the man grew up as God's, can I use the word, Lord, don't, don't tell someone I said this. Like God's bingo. It was as if the right to himself had been taken from him. So from the beginning, he was God's. Till the end, he belongs to God. So the day they came and said, Samuel, we want a king. He said, Why? Your sons are not exactly like you. No, no, no. That's not how we solve it. He went to God. God said, they have not rejected you. Who have they rejected? Me. Samuel was totally God's, was totally God's representative. All he cared about was God's matter. So when they rejected him, God said, no, it's not you they rejected. It is me. When Saul offended God, Samuel did the crime. <laughs> I don't know whether you're getting my point. 
That was why I'm not aware of some of the long, long prayers we make. Somebody didn't understand that. If someone says, this is about to rain, and someone says, this meeting will finish by 8, it can't start raining now. Say, no, the rain will not fall. Let's continue. You know what happens? The angels will go, get their broom, their parka, sweep away all the cloud, and go and pour it on the Philistines. <laughs> Why? Because someone said it can't rain now. We have a meeting outside. That was how it happened until the point they said there was not one of his words that fell to the ground. It wasn't because he knew how to quote the scriptures. It was because the man totally belongs to God. He was totally sold out. That is what faith is. Faith is not mental. I have agreed. I do what I like. When they say Elijah was a righteous man, that's what it means. It wasn't as if Elijah never did anything wrong. For goodness sake, when Jezebel says, I'm looking for you and you run, something is wrong with you. <laughs> Are you getting my point? So he wasn't a perfect man. That's the point I'm trying to make. In fact, at the point in time, God said, okay, okay, it's enough. Some of the instructions God gave him was carried out by Elijah. I told you, the reason why God kills people or takes them away, it differs. There are different reasons why he does it. You don't know, you know. But in Elijah's case, we know God loved him. He took him away. There are only three people in the whole Bible that we are aware of, went to heaven, alive. Enoch, Elijah, who's the third person? Jesus, after resurrection. Yes, thank you. When God wanted to send people to go and talk to Jesus on the earth, who did he send? Moses and Elijah. Listen, these are people totally, totally. The Bible says Enoch walked with God until they couldn't find him again. <laughs> Enoch walked with God. Ah, look, that's what makes a prayer warrior. I'm sorry to say, most people in Nigeria right now, Christians say I pray, forwarding prayers up and down. I just shake my head. Sometimes I look like I'm always quarreling. They are angry people. They are offended people. The only prayer point they have is Hulani men must die. They don't have any other prayer point. These are the same people that finish killing their neighbors. All the neighbors are die, dead. Die by fire. All the neighbors are dead. So they say, who else must die? Our neighbors to the north. No. I'm sorry to say, if you are praying like that, you're not a prayer warrior. You're a confused person. You'll soon get injured. That's not supposed to be a joke, Mark my words. Pray like that. All my enemies die by fire. Every power fighting my destiny die by fire. All these spirits fighting me die by fire. Anything die by fire. All my once you walk on like that in five years, go no go for medical checkup. You can't pray like that for five years and some, you, one of your organs will not give up. No, one of your organs will. One, no, I'm serious. Look, your eyes, your. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Your mouth, you, you, you have a, pers- look, you have a laryngitis that will not be curable. Or one kidney will just wake up, just shut down. Why? I'm tired of fighting. <laughs> what happened? The last battle, I got injured. Arrow. <laughs> look, remove, <laughs> remove laughter what I'm saying. No? Tell anybody that's praying like this. Look, you will soon enjoy yourself. <laughs> the Lord is good. I'm talking about prayer warriors. A true Christian prayer warrior. A true Christian prayer warrior. It's not the words, first of all. It's the heart, where it is. How is this sold out to the Lord? 
How does he care about God's glory? God's business? God's plan on the earth? God's agenda? You know, Jesus warned us, say, stop coming to prayer and your needs are in front. Say it's not Christian prayer. You know, that's what he said. He said, what do you do? When you come for prayer, seek first the needs of God. If I may use that expression. Seek first what? The kingdom. How will God's kingdom be established? And his righteousness. He said, all these things you are praying about, they will be added. People have not been bold enough to try what Jesus said. To say this year, no, I go to prayer, my personal needs will not be in front. To be the needs of God, the needs of the kingdom, the advancement of his truth, the glory of Jesus. So when I want to pray, I'll be like Moses. Lord, um, thank you very much. Uh, this car we are praying for now. I'm not saying you don't give us so, but how would I help you? There are people that Jesus said, I'm not going, this is your prayer for, for your wife. I will not answer it this year. Some people is going to give to them before they ask. Some they have finished you and say, look at you. You are looking for more distraction. This is your overcrowded life. Where will you say go? You have not been able to go for two years. You are now looking for one more thing to tie you down. Tell the angels, rub something on his face. You know what I mean. <laughs> Let Donald Trump see him and know where he's coming from. <laughs> you, I hope you can connect that. Any woman you greet will run. It's God. I said, this guy, you ain't married for five years. Forget it. Your obsession with your personal needs. No, won't let you save me. Go away. I hope you got to my point. It was God's prayer warrior. I'm recruiting for God again. Say, so let's come. Make the agenda of God our primary agenda. Let's bow down our heads to pray. Let's just commit ourselves to him again. Like I said, all we're doing is recruiting. Getting Christians to become exactly who the Lord wants them to be. Say, Lord, I yield myself to you. Make me your property like Samuel was. I'm yours alone. He died for all. So that those who live will no longer live for themselves. Yield yourself to the Lord again with your own mouth. Say, Lord, I give you my ambition. Say, Lord, I hand over my desires to you. I hand over my own dreams. Today I receive the dream from you. That one for which you give me life. Say, Lord, cut off every entanglement that's preventing me from serving you. Lord, I yield myself as a prayer warrior indeed. I want to be like Daniel. I want to be like Elijah. I want to be like Samuel. And I want to be like Moses. And in summary, I want to be exactly like the Lord Jesus, who said my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. The same the Lord Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the first thing to seek. Say, Lord, I make it my priority again today. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me that this will be my life. Yes, I summarize it like that. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me that this might be my life. Let's give the Lord thanks. Father, we give you thanks.